Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast looking for some advice today. Donna, what is our episode? We are ready to discuss Ask Jennifer. The air date was February 14th, 1981, Valentine's Day. Written by Joyce Armour and Judy Near. Story editor Lisa Levin. Executive story consultants Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Directed by Linda Day. The station starts a phone-in advice show. Herb hires an expert to host it, but she proves to be a bit unreliable. Jennifer steps in and winds up hosting the new show. For a while, at least. Joyce and Judy are back on the writer's screen. This is their second WKRP script after season one's Bailey show. Joyce Armour and Judy Near are the duo who first found each other as crew on The Bob Newhart Show. They then wrote an episode of The Tony Randall Show in early 1978. It was Joyce who worked as an assistant to the producers on The Tony Randall Show. She was also listed as a production assistant on the pilot for WKRP. As we found out from Tom Cheehawk, just being around the set at MTM was a great way to pitch your scripts to producers and directors. Joyce and Judy seem to have taken the same approach to getting their story ideas in front of the right people. And, you know, I also love the fact that this is an all-female episode of the show. It was written by a female duo. It's directed by groundbreaking female director Linda Day, and it features Lonnie Anderson in the performer spotlight. Even the topics being discussed on Jennifer's show have a slant toward the ladies. In the 2020s, finding projects helmed by female writers, producers, and directors is becoming more and more common. In 1981, it was unheard of. This episode is testament to Hugh Wilson's forward-thinking approach to producing a TV show. He didn't care about gender or sexual orientation, All he cared about were good laughs and good storytelling. We start out in Mr. Carlson's office where Andy is trying to avoid getting snagged by a fish hook. As Art (laughs) sits at his desk, he's practicing his casting. Herb enters the office asking if they wanted to see him. You can tell he's nervous about being summoned by the big guy. And it's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a white shirt with red and blue cross hatching, a light tan tie with mustard yellow and brown diagonal stripes, tan pants with his white belt and a brown jacket with what appears to be chalk lines on it. And I think we can assume he has on his white shoes. Yeah, I think so. Herb is twisting his wedding band around and around on his finger. Is this a meeting? Yes. (laughs) Uh, An important one? No. Am I in any trouble? (laughs) Andy chuckles as he tells Herb he's not in any trouble. They want to discuss a very good idea that he had. Well, Herb has a confused look on his face. That I had? That's right. Well, hell, let's let's get on with it. I'm not a guy who likes to waste a lot of time. Herb sits down on the couch as Mr. Carlson stands and walks toward him. Andy here tells me that these Dear Abby talk-type shows are really popular. Herb stands up excitedly. Yes, indeed, big guy. These things are sweeping the country. So Art mentioned Dear Abby. He's referring to the pen name of advice columnist and spiritual guru Pauline Esther Popo Phillips. Pauline created the pen name Abigail Van Buren in 1956 when she was 37 years old. She presented her first advice articles to the San Francisco Chronicle where her column Dear Abby was born. 
The name was taken from the female prophet who appeared in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and President Martin Van Buren. Printed advice columns had been around for more than a century when Abby came along. She started hers only because she thought she could do a better job than the columnists already being printed in the Chronicle. Oh, and she also happened to be launching a competing column to her twin sisters. Focus in, gang. This gets a bit confusing. If you wrote this in a soap opera and nobody'd believe it, Pauline's identical <laughs> twin sister Esther was also writing a column under the pen name Ann Landers. She'd won a contest in 1955 to take over the Ann Landers column in the Chicago Sun-Times. Both columns became very popular and were widely syndicated. This means, as of 1956, twin sisters, one named Pauline Esther, the other named Esther Pauline, were writing the two most-read advice columns in the United States. More on these two ladies in a bit. Back to Carlson's office, Herb goes on to tell Carlson he was talking to a friend, Crazy Chuck Minsky, Big 3K Radio in St. Louis. Crazy Chuck told Herb that they started a Dear Abby-type advice show, and the calls came pouring in. Then they won their 2 to 3 p.m. time slot. I mean, won it outright, just like that, for the first time in 20 years. Well, Carlson's very impressed, and Andy is ready to go. That's a miserable time slot for us, too. Now, I think we can take this hour easily with a show like this. I like it, Herb, and I want to do it. We love that Herb was talking to a friend in St. Louis about talk radio. Unscripted talk on the radio goes back to the 1920s, but St. Louis is one of two places where the all-talk format started. In 1960, both KMOX AM 1120 in St. Louis and KABC 790 AM in Los Angeles adopted an all-talk format. Both stations claim to be the first all-talkers. It appears the two station formats were developed independently and on roughly the same timeline. Sometimes WKRP's perspective on ratings is too heavily influenced by TV. TV stations worry about winning specific hours or even half hours. Radio stations don't normally worry about winning specific hours Radio stations worry about winning time slots. A time slot is a broad segment of the day. Morning Drive, for instance, is a time slot that runs from 6 a.m. until 10 a.m. No station is trying to win a single hour of Morning Drive. They want the whole thing. Same with the midday slot. It runs from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. If you've ever listened to a radio talk show, you know they usually run from 3 to 4 hours. The idea is to dominate a time slot with the show. Andy and Herb are ready to take off with this idea. Carlson speaks up, looking very serious. Hold on just a second now. Wait a minute. Something like that's got to be cleared through me first. Herb begins to protest, but Andy puts up his hand as if to say, wait for it. <laughs> Carlson picks up his fishing pole, walks to the other side of his desk. Okay, it's cleared. <laughs> Andy begins talking about the next step. There's a knock at the door, and Les enters. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Bridge of Nose. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cob Award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Mr. Carlson, why not a full one hour of news? Not now, Les. Yes, sir. <laughs> Les backs out, closing the door. That pop-up was almost like a Muppet gag on the part of Les. Do you think he was listening outside the door? I'm sure he was. And he continues telling Art and Herb what he's thinking. I'm going to find someone like a dear Abby and Ann Landers. Now, this person does not have to be a psychiatrist or anything. Just someone with good old common sense, all right? Herb agrees. Art asks Andy who he has in mind. Oh, I don't know yet, but I'm going to find someone. Andy heads towards the door. Uh, 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 excuse him what, Travinsky? <laughs> Look, that was my idea. I should find him. Oh, no, Herb. Don't you want this idea to work? <laughs> Herb seems to be doing a callback to season two's Americanization of Ivan. Ivan referred to Andy as Travinsky. I'm, I'd like you to be Andy Travis. Hello, Travinsky. How do you do, Ivan? 
Good. Although it does sound a lot like Stravinsky. Igor Stravinsky was a Russian composer, pianist, and conductor who lived from 1882 until 1971. Herb looks at Andy and asks him what his comment is supposed to mean. I think what Andy's trying to say, Herb, is that if you get your incompetent hands on this project, you'll (laughs) totally destroy what would otherwise be a darn good idea. (laughs) Again, Herb looks at Andy and he asks... Is that true? Nah. Good. So Andy mentioned both Dear Abby and Ann Landers together. It was easy to think of them as almost one entity. Both had a similar voice and style to their writing. Their answers to questions about manners, etiquette, and family life were breezy, funny, and down-to-earth, but the advice really was solid. Personally, there was a lot of animosity between the sisters, and the competition was fierce. In 1956, Abby offered her column to the Sioux City Journal at a reduced price if they refused to print her sister's Ann Landers column. Ooh, sisterly love. Starting in the late 50s, it was common for newspapers to carry both of the sisters' syndicated advice columns, although Dear Abby had the edge. Abby was in 1,400 newspapers, where Ann Landers only appeared in 1,200. In 1958, Life magazine called them the most widely read and most quoted women in the world. The sisters would publicly reconcile in 1964, but the competition and personal animosity between them would continue throughout their lives. Making the jump from print to broadcast was also nothing new for Abby. Pauline Friedman hosted a Dear Abby advice show on CBS radio for a dozen years from 1963 until 1975. Then I'll find the perfect host. You're going to love him. And I'll have this show on the air by the end of the week. Herbert R. Tarlick Jr. has spoken. Herb turns to leave the office. He takes hold of the doorknob and pulls, but can't seem to open the door. Well, so much for a grand exit. He awkwardly turns to look at Carlson and Andy. As Herb fights to get out of Carlson's office, we head into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. Okay, now before we come back to Carlson's office, we've got a note here. We're suspending the fashion alerts for this next segment. We're coming to a segment where we cover a lot of time, and we're going to see Herb in several suits. Many of them are repeats. Many are repeats, and many of them are really, really amazing. We've decided, (laughs) though, we need to suspend the fashion alerts in order to get through this segment, or you're going to kill us because it's going to go off like every two minutes. We're seeing them. Tons of Herb suits. Now strap in, hold on, and keep your head down. We'll get through this together. Here's an important statement about the timeline of this episode. Throughout the episode, we will see lower third CG notation showing us a number of days later. We think it's a joke. Nobody thought it through. They just put up a huge number of days in order to get a laugh. But they used real numbers. So when you use real numbers, there are bound to be questions. There are two schools of thought on the vague notation days later. If you believe the day Herb made his pledge is a zero-day event, then one interpretation says each notation is that number of days after Herb made his promise. This theory says it's just a straight count. 168 days from Herb's pledge would be five months and 18 days later. The other way of thinking is if days later means the number of days after the last event. In that case, the days later is additive. We see the cousin on day six, but the dancer is 14 days after the cousin. So a total of 20 days after Herb's pledge. If you use the method where the counter resets to zero after each event and all days are added, Arlene was hired a total of 373 days after Herb made his pledge. Using the additive approach to days later means they've hired Arlene just as they are starting their second year of the search. Either way you think about it, the whole idea was big number, big laugh. And which timeline do you subscribe to? I'm not really sure. I was thinking it was uh, the additive 
Where it you know, adds on you, after where it keeps one? adding on after it, if it said thirty six days and then it would say six days later that would mean you know six yeah. six days added on to the thirty six. But I don't know. Yeah, e- either way, it's a whole lot of time, and we're not going to do this again. You'll have to figure it out on your own when we get to Jennifer's shows. Okay, we see a caption come up saying it is now six days later. Andy, Mister Carlson, and Herb are in Mister Carlson's office interviewing a gentleman to be the host of the advice segment on the radio. The gentleman is telling them his experience includes some time as a family counselor. Oh, yeah, he also worked for the city. There's something vaguely unsettling about this guy's suit. Uh, What got you interested in doing a show like this? Uh, Herb did. Uh, We're cousins. Uh, First or second cousins, Herb? (laughs) (laughs) Herb is pinching the bridge of his nose like he has a headache. His cousin looks around as Carlson throws his notebook and pencil on his desk. Okay, fine. I love it that he says, okay, fine. Yeah, okay, fine. It's part of the family. They're related. So Herb's cousin is being played by Wayne Morton. Wayne has 22 acting credits on his IMDb profile. He was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin in 1945. He got his start on TV in 1970 on the series Medical Center. Wayne didn't do anything for eight years. Then he returned as a voice actor on the Scooby-Doo Dino-Mutt Hour in 1978. (laughs) He also, hey, it's a paycheck. He also picked up quite a bit of work as a voice actor on the animated series The Thing and the follow-up, I missed this one, Fred and Barney Meet The Thing. (laughs) <laughs> Wayne picked up a few guest star shots in the 80s, then he disappeared for about 18 years. He reappeared in the movie Factotum in 2005. Wayne was most recently in a 2018 TV movie, The Neapolitan. Okay, fine. Well, now we see a CG telling us it is 14 days later. A young woman is sitting in the interviewee chair. And I used to be a dancer, so I've always been interested in show business. And Herb says, I got a real good way with people. (laughs) The woman turns and smiles at Herb and then smiles at Carlson and Andy. Uh, Well, (laughs) you do. The dancer is being played by Feather Austin. Yes, you heard right. The dancer's real name is... Feather. And she floats like a feather. feather. We yes. couldn't find a lot of personal info on Feather, but she does have a total of seven acting credits spanning a five-year period from 1978 until 83. Glancing down Feather's credits, we notice some similarities in her parts. She's played girl, t-shirt girl, first bimbo, dancer, <laughs> and stripper. Feather is a frequent flyer on WKRP. She will return at the end of this season in the episode, A Simple Little Wedding. And, of course, she'll be playing a stripper. Well, she does have that look about her, that bimbo stripper Kind of does, and, and she's making, making bank on it. Oh, yeah. It's now 37 days later. Herb and Andy are in Carlson's office. Carlson is sitting at his desk. Andy is sitting on Carlson's desk looking like he's about had it. Herb is arguing his case. The guy has all the credentials. I mean, look at this letter. I haven't met the man, but I've got a hunch you're going to love him. Herb opens the door to Carlson's office and welcomes a Mr. Van Housen into the room. Well, good morning, gentlemen. I'm Mr. Van Housen. <laughs> Herb grimaces when he hears the man has a speech impediment. Without saying a word, Herb puts his hand on Mr. Van Housen's shoulder and guides him back out the door. And, you know, th- I didn't think that speech impediment was really that apparent. It didn't It was hit. very subtle. It's also odd now to look at, you know, taking a shot at him with a, you know, a joke about that. You just would not expect that today. No, no. Mr. Van Housen is being played by Mickey Cherney. Mickey joins our parade of quick-hit guest stars. He was born in Chicago in 1924. Mickey has 13 acting credits on his IMDb profile. Like Feather and Wayne, Mickey's resume also spans the late 70s to early 80s. Mickey has a run of a dozen TV guest star shots from 1979 through 83. He appeared on series like Chips, Dallas, Dynasty, and Charlie's Angels. We read now that it is 52 days later. Herb is getting desperate. Don't you see? I should do the show. Andy is sitting on Carlson's desk, his back to the camera. He's hunched over, arms folded across his stomach, while Carlson is slumped in his chair, 
leaning on his desk. Now we see it's 78 days later. Herb is standing next to Les, who is seated in the interview chair, smiling. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman. Right side of neck. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nesman. Herb has his right hand on Les's shoulder while he's using his left hand to present Les to Carlson and Andy. Huh? 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 We cut to Carlson and Andy who have their backs to the camera, both of them looking very defeated. Now the CG says 168 days later, as we see a woman seated in the interview chair. Well, I worked very briefly in radio before. And I had an advice column for a time, but I gave it up to write my book, You Be You and I'll Be Me. Carlson and Andy are sold. Well, I must admit you're extremely well qualified. And you have a very lovely voice. Thank you. I say yes. Me too. (laughs) Andy and Carlson reach out to shake the woman's hand. Well, let's get going. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to waste a lot of time. Come on, come on. Arlene Allen is being played by Eileen Barnett. Eileen started her acting career in 1977 on the TV series San Pedro Beach Bums. For the next 40 years, she would rack up 51 television credits in addition to primetime guest star work. Eileen also did 107 episodes of Days of Our Lives and 27 episodes of Santa Barbara. Her work was primarily on our dramas, but she also picked up a few sitcoms like WKRP and dramedies like Gilmore Girls. Her most recent credit was a guest shot on an episode of Angie Tribeca in 2017. Come on, come on. We cut to the lobby and Jennifer is sitting at her desk reading a book when Johnny enters from the hallway leading to the bullpen. I'm going to slip on home, slide into bed and sleep the day off. Want to come? Jennifer smiles at Johnny. Change your mind. Give me a call. Jennifer asks Johnny if he's not going to stick around for Ask Arlene. Johnny tells Jennifer he'll check her out on the air and see what he thinks. Sounds like you've already made up your mind. Johnny sounds a little indignant. He tells Jennifer this woman is putting a DJ out of work. She's taking Dean the Dream slot. Jennifer tells Johnny Dean was leaving anyway. And to what? That is my point. What is Dean leaving to? He's going to law school. Huh. (laughs) That could come in handy. I might need a lawyer someday. (laughs) And there's more WKRP personnel. As we fill in our board shift schedule, Johnny's giving us a new entry. This is the first mention of Dean the Dream, even if he is leaving. We know Johnny's the morning man. He's on at 6 a.m. until 10 a.m. We've seen him stay over into middays, filling in for Rex Earhart, so that would cover the 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. slot. Since the new Ask Arlene show starts at 3 p.m., we're wondering if Dean might be the afternoon drive guy. The new show would be taking the first hour of Dean's slot. Afternoon drive normally covers 3 to 7. Well, now it would be 4 to 7, which takes us to the Venus Flytrap show. Up after Venus is overnight guy Moss Steiger, who is followed by Johnny. So that pretty much fills in the shifts. Only now we have to find a replacement for Dean. Johnny leaves, passing Herb on his way into the lobby. Herb frantically rushes through the doors looking for Arlene. Where is she? Who? Arlene. She in there with the big guy? What time is it? No. 2.30. We head now into Art's office where Art is sitting at his desk with a little train track and some (laughs) miniature buildings set up on his desk. He's watching a little electric train going around and around on the track, and he's making the train horn sound when Herb (laughs) comes into his office unannounced. Art grabs the train engine off the track, and he jumps up. Why don't you ever knock? Why? Herb tells Carlson he can't find Arlene, and she goes on in half an hour. Art says he'll call Travis. Herb is a wreck. He tells Art he was planning to pick her up and have her to the studio in plenty of time. Art has the phone to his ear. Travis, get in my office immediately. This is Mr. Carlson. 
<laughs> yeah, I like how he had to identify yeah, himself. Make sure we know who that is. Carlson asks Herb if maybe Arlene drove to the station on her own. Herb says the plan was to pick her up at two on the dot, and she agreed. Herb spots the tiny train engine in Carlson's hand and asks what it is. <laughs> Carlson quickly puts it down on his desk, saying it's nothing. A man in my position, Herb, doesn't play with trains. Yes, sir. I'm not a child. I'm a hobbyist. <laughs> Herb agrees with Carlson. There's a knock on the door and Jennifer enters. Jennifer announces that Arlene is here and shows her into the office. Arlene enters, looking very professional and put together. Arlene quickly apologizes to Herb. Herb tells her he's just glad she's there and asks her to sit down. And he comes running into the office. What? What? What is it? Uh, well, uh, uh, Arlene's here. <laughs> what? I just, you know, thought you'd like to know. Andy turns and greets Arlene, asking if she's ready to go. Arlene tells them she's been preparing all morning. Well, that's a good sign. Herb says everything's in order. Advertisements in this morning's paper, air promos, intro tapes. Oh, and it wasn't easy to concentrate either. I got a call this morning from Eddie. Mr. Carlson asks who Eddie is. Arlene explains she and Eddie were separated this past Christmas. Carlson tells her he's sorry. She assures him it's old business, but it does still hurt sometimes. You see, I thought that this was going to be the marriage that finally worked. Arlene asks Herb for a glass of water. He rushes out of the office to get it. You were married before then, huh? Oh, yes, four times. <laughs> but I really don't count the first one. We were only married for two days. Uh, uh-oh. Hmm. Herb returns with a glass of water and hands it to Arlene. Arlene explains she hardly knew the first guy. She only married him to get revenge on Barry, who'd lied to her. And that's a good reason to marry somebody. <laughs> Arlene holds up a capsule, telling them it's just an aspirin. No, it's not. Popping it into her mouth, she uses the water to swallow it down. Arlene turns to Herb. We never had sex. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Herb's heart stopped. You know it did when she said that. Arlene goes on to explain she's still very careful about that. I mean, you can hardly have a relationship with a man today that sex doesn't get in the way. You know what I mean, Mr. Carlson? <laughs> Mr. Carlson agrees. Oh, yeah. Andy tells Arlene to just relax a bit and he will take her into the booth in a second. Arlene sits back and continues talking about Eddie. She tells them he had severe problems with her success. You can see Arlene's whole demeanor has changed. She has a bit of a wild look in her eyes now. Arlene says Eddie had all the usual male attitudes to a marriage, but she has trouble coming up with the word attitude. Eddie would be in charge. Eddie would dominate. Eddie would make the decisions. Even when he started doing the dishes and making the bed, <laughs> I knew where he was really coming from. I mean, I knew where he was at, man. They should have talked to her more. Andy right. is standing behind Art. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Herb is trying to be helpful. He adds his whole point of view on the Eddie saga. Maybe Ed was attempting to communicate. <laughs> Arlene sits forward, <laughs> grasping the arm of the couch. Oh, don't give me that bull. <laughs> Sorry. Communicate? Give me a break. Whoa. <laughs> Arlene might have some unresolved anger issues when it comes to Eddie. <laughs> Andy calmly asks Mr. Carlson what time it is. Uh, it's uh, just, just about airtime. <laughs> Arlene hops up from the couch. Oh, good. <laughs> I hope Eddie's listening, because I think he's going to know when I'm really talking about him. <laughs> well, Andy tells Arlene not to get too personal. I'll be you, you'll be me. What? It's your book. Oh, that piece of trash. <laughs> Arlene hurries out the door, followed by a defeated-looking Herb head hanging down. Andy turns to Carlson with a panicked look on his face. Are you coming? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> the door slams, and Carlson is left watching his train go round and round. Oh, that piece of trash. We transition to the studio, and we just catch Les finishing up his news segment as Jennifer, Andy, Herb, and Arlene enter. And blow the whole country, oil fields and all, right off the map. <laughs> 
but of course, that's just a personal observation. This is Les Nesman saying good day and may the good news be yours. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> Arlene is looking a bit out of it as Les gets up to give her the chair behind the mic. Jennifer is concerned as she looks at Arlene, telling her she looks a little sleepy. Ah, she just took an aspirin. You might be asking yourself, so why is Jennifer here? Doesn't she usually spend all of her time in the lobby and the bullpen, rarely venturing into the studio? Yes, normally, but you're going to have to let that go for now. We don't have an episode if she's not here. Did you catch Les's last bit of news? We don't know who he wants to blow off the map, but it's definitely a Middle Eastern country. <laughs> Les is starting a long payoff joke. The other shoe will drop later in the episode. Jennifer asks what kind of aspirin, and Herb tells her a big pink and blue thing. Well, whatever that capsule was that she took in Art's office... It was not an aspirin. No, it wasn't. Arlene is having trouble holding her head up, and he asks if she's okay. Of course I am. Of course she is. <laughs> Jennifer asks Andy how many pills she took. Andy says he only saw her take one. Arlene sees Les and blearily asks who he is. I'm Les Nesman. I read your book. Didn't help me any. <laughs> He tells it like it is. Les pulls no punches. Les leaves the studio. Herb bends down next to Arlene. All right, Arlene, now here are the phones. You remember the phones? Of course I am. <laughs> Arlene is fading fast. Andy turns some knobs and we hear Herb's voice on the intro to Arlene's show. And now it's time for Ask Arlene, a bold new venture in Cincinnati radio listening where you, the listener, call in to... Ask Arlene poignant personal questions and receive in return poignant personal expert advice from an expert. Herb mouths the intro as it plays. Frank Bonner is doing a hilarious <laughs> bit of lip sync in the background of this scene. The intro keeps going and going and Frank is hitting every word. He even adds in the effects. The echo, echo. Echo, echo. Expert, expert, expert. Arlene has her hand on the mic looking ready to go. And now... Here's Arlene. Arlene's head falls <laughs> forward and hits the desk with a loud... <laughs> Andy and Herb stand there in shock, their mouths hanging open. Jennifer calmly steps forward and pulls the mic up to her mouth. Arlene's hand is still gripping the mic as Jennifer speaks. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Arlene. Welcome to my show, and feel free to ask me anything. Our number here is 555-WKRP, and I'd like to see those phones light up as soon as possible. Arlene's hand loses its grip on the mic and thuds to the desk. <laughs> You know, when her head hit the desk, I mean, it she hit committed. hard. I'm sure they added I'm, a sound effect, but she still hit I hard. I don't know. I think that was her head. I know she had a red <laughs> red spot on her forehead after that. We come back to the bullpen. We find out this is a cut for time. The show now is over. Bailey is walking quickly across the room to the door that leads to the studio hallway. She reaches the door just as Jennifer and Andy come in. Jennifer, it was great. You were absolutely Wonderful. Oh. Bailey hugs Jennifer as Andy watches with a big smile on his face. Jennifer is excited, telling them she has never talked so much in her entire life. Jennifer sits down in Herb's chair. Bailey tells Jennifer her advice was just perfect. Just common sense. Bailey asks her how she knows all that. I don't know. I read Psychology Today, Field and Stream. <laughs> now let's check out Jenny Pooh's reading material. <laughs> Psychology Today began as a bi-monthly magazine in 1967. Today it is considered one of the oldest media outlets with a focus on behavioral science. The magazine is still published to a circulation of about a quarter million, and the Psychology Today online community reaches more than a million users a month. The magazine was founded by Nicholas Charney, Ph.D., as a way to make psychological literature available to the general public. Although it is endorsed by the National Board for Certified Counselors, Many psychiatric professionals are concerned about the information presented by Psychology Today. Although contributors are experts, the articles are not peer-reviewed, and many of the senior members of management 
do not have psychiatric training. Jennifer's other source of information was Field and Stream. Field and Stream was an outdoors magazine founded in 1895 by John P. Burkhardt and Henry Wellington Wack. <laughs> As of 20... W-A-C-K, Wellington <laughs> Wack. Just caught me. As of 2012, print <laughs> circulation was more than 1.25 million. By 2020... It was down. It was decided to end the print portion of the magazine. A commemorative 125th anniversary edition was produced as the final issue. Since then, Field and Stream has gone entirely online. You can still check out the web-only version of Field and Stream at fieldandstream.com. Andy brings Jennifer a cup of coffee. Herb enters and tells Jennifer he heard the last 30 minutes of the show and she was just wonderful. Jennifer asks how Arlene's doing. Oh, she's okay, fine. I took her to emergency ward and it was nothing but a, you know, a case of nerves and about three Valium. Herb says Eddie picked her up. Jennifer asks if Arlene will be back tomorrow. Herb tells Jennifer Arlene doesn't need to come back. They've got her. Jennifer starts to protest when Mr. Carlson enters. Herb mentioned Arlene had taken some Valium. Valium was the original trade name for diazepam. Valium is used to treat a wide range of conditions, including anxiety. It's also used to induce memory loss during certain medical procedures. Side effects include marked drowsiness and loss of coordination. Yeah, we saw that. No surprise Arlene was able to come up with a couple of Valium. It was patented in 1959 and introduced to the market in 1963. By 1968, Valium was the best-selling medication in the U.S. That's a title it would hold for 14 years. Valium sold more than 2 billion tablets in 1978 alone. This explains a lot about the 70s. (laughs) You don't hear much about Valium these days because in 1985, the patent ran out. Diazepam is still very popular, both legally and illegally, but there are now more than 500 different brand names for diazepam out there. So Carlson came into the bullpen, and he's looking a bit frazzled. There's a pushy salesman sitting in the lobby waiting to see me. I was wondering if you could uh, (coughs) make him go away. (laughs) Jennifer stands, telling him, sure, when Andy stops her. Andy asks Carlson if he listened to Ask Arlene. Well, Carlson says he didn't. Andy tells Carlson Jennifer did the show, and they all chimed in on how great she was. I'll handle the salesman. What's he look like? You. (laughs) Good. Dracula meets Frankenstein. Dracula versus Frankenstein was actually a movie. So we all know the characters of Count Dracula and Dr. Frankenstein's monster. You may not know about the low-budget 1971 movie by Schlockmeister Al Adamson, where he pitted these two classic universal monsters against each other. Adamson is considered on par with Ed Wood when it comes to making terrible movies. Dracula versus Frankenstein sounds like it is about as bad as bad can be. Adamson uses stock footage and leftover footage (laughs) from what was supposed to be a biker film in the original edit. Unfortunately, this is the last film to include horror stars Lon Chaney Jr. and J. Carol Nash. Both former horror stars were at this point very old and frail during filming. And so I don't he just think they were like, very scary. Had scraps of these past movies? Parts of them, and it started out as a different movie. It was supposed to be a sequel to a biker movie, and then he decided it was going to be a horror movie. This guy was nuts, this Adamson. <laughs> we got to watch this. It's, oh, I think we might need to check it out. <laughs> so Venus comes into the bullpen. Andy asks him if he heard Jennifer on the radio. I'd recognize that sexy voice anywhere. You were great, Jennifer. Which brings us to... The line of the episode. You know, I listened to you for just 10 minutes, and already I've decided to go back to school, lose 50 pounds, and get a sex change operation. <laughs> <laughs> Venus looks over at Art and kisses the air in his direction. <laughs> Art backs up, straightening his tie. Just how personal do these questions get? He's feeling very uncomfortable. But <laughs> yes. Venus, was it was great. He closes his eyes and as he smooch. kisses the air. <laughs> smooch. 
So Bailey tells him they get very personal. Oh, no. Jennifer assures Art she will be back at her desk tomorrow. Andy looks at Jennifer. Jennifer. Andy, I'm not going to do it. Why not? Because it goes against my basic philosophy of do your job, but don't do too much of it. Andy tells Jennifer it would be much more exciting than being stuck out in the lobby all day. I like it out there. We hardly get any calls. Mr. Carlson won't accept visitors. It's quiet. I can read, study a foreign language, occasionally answer a question or two. Andy tells her everyone comes to her for advice anyway. He's laying it on thick. He says she should share her wisdom with the world. Yeah, Jennifer's not not buying it. Andy says she only needs to do it for as long as it takes Herb to find somebody else to host. That, that shouldn't take too long, should it, Mr. Cross, for her to find somebody else? Oh, no, just a you know, matter of days, weeks. <laughs> days? So, come on, what do you say? Just this once? I say no. Nah, that'll take no time at all. <laughs> now, since we're in the studio, it's time for a poster watch. Yay! We cycle through several different poster setups in the studio as we do the Jennifer Showtime jumps. Most are things we've seen already, so to save time, we won't mention those. A couple of new things, though, we caught. The Clash Black Market Clash promo poster on the studio door. This album was released in October of 1980 only in the United States and Canada. It was black market in that it was a collection of Clash cuts previously unavailable in the United States. The 1980 version was released on 10-inch vinyl. It also contains some unique edits of previously released material. To the right of the studio door up high, we see Heart Greatest Hits live promo poster. It was released November 29th, 1980. This was a kind of hybrid of live studio and greatest hits album for Anne and Nancy Wilson's band Heart. It was originally sold as a two-vinyl disc set. The first disc is a fairly straightforward collection of the band's greatest hits. The second disc is a mostly live album, although it does contain three new unreleased studio recordings. One of those, a cover of Tell It Like It Is, was released as the first single from the album. Tell it like it is. Greatest Hits Live would reach number 13 on the U.S. Billboard album chart, and it has been certified double platinum. At one point on the studio door, we see a poster promoting the second studio album released by Detroit rockers, The Romantics. It was called National Breakout. It came out in December of 1980, and it was a huge stumble for the band. They went with bigger guitars and a louder crash-bash drum sound, completely losing the stripped-down British Invasion sound of their debut. This album was panned by critics and fans, and there were no hits. Well, those are the new ones. We've covered pretty much everything else used in the backgrounds of the different time jumps. Now, let's get into the studio. There's a quick cut to the studio, and we see Jennifer behind the mic, and the words 16 days later flash up on the screen. Yes, you're on the air. Marlene, what's the meaning of life? The cereal or the magazine? And another quick cut, still in the studio, but less is behind the mic and the words five days later show on the screen. Johnny and Jennifer come into the studio. We could take out Iraq, too. Then later apologize and say it was a typographical error. But of course, that's just a personal observation. This is Les Nesman saying good day and may the good news be yours. And now stay tuned for Ask Arlene. And here's the other shoe on Les's joke. At the time, Iran was our sworn enemy in the Middle East and probably who Les was ready to wipe off the map in that last report. 
They just released the hostages, but since the 1979 revolution, the U.S. was at odds with the Ayatollah. Desert Storm and our first war with Iraq was still a good 10 years away. Les has decided he doesn't like Iran or Iraq. He points out it's only one letter difference. Les is ready to take them both out right now. We'll say it was a typographical error. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Left pinky finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Les gets up from the chair and Jennifer starts to sit. Both Johnny and Les pull the chair out for Jennifer. As Johnny and Les straighten up, they kind of glare at each other. Les leans down and asks Jennifer if he can ask her for some advice about something. Why don't you call her on the phone like everybody else does? Les tells Johnny it's personal. Jennifer asks him what it is. Johnny? Yeah. Cover your ears. Johnny, looking perturbed, goes ahead and sticks his pointer fingers into his ears. It has to do with one coming to grips with one's own nudity. Mm, I think Johnny could still hear. He begins to hum. (laughs) Now he cups his hands over his ears, continuing to hum, and he's pacing around the studio very nervous. Jennifer tells Les maybe they should continue this discussion at a later date. Les thanks Jennifer and starts to leave. Thank you, John. Sure, Les, and good luck with that problem. Jennifer puts her headphones into her ears as Les leaves the studio. It's good to see Jennifer using headphones. The only way to hear a caller on the air is through headphones. Jennifer is wearing what are called under-chin headphones. Using headphones under the chin is nothing new. Some of the very first headphones ever made, dating back to the 1880s, were under-chin headphones. The ones Jennifer is wearing were originally created for transcriptionists in the 1950s. Transcriptionist headphones were specifically designed to not mess up ladies' hair. Yeah, they had those big bouffant. Oh, yeah, you could not get into that with headphones or you'd have a mess. Johnny comes over next to Jennifer and starts flipping through some papers as he talks. I tell you, I feel so much closer to you now, Jennifer. I mean, now that we're colleagues, we're both broadcast personalities, announcers. We had a tour together, you know? What would we tour? Army bases, uh, little overnight stays. (laughs) Wait a minute, something is wrong. What? Something is missing here. (laughs) The door to the studio opens and Herb enters, carrying a single, long-stemmed rose in a glass vase. He apologizes. Sorry, Arlene. Running a little late today. Jennifer smiles as she looks at the rose. And keep an eye on Jennifer's flower vase as we move from scene to scene. I think they're buying her off with roses because the number begins to multiply. We take a commercial break, and when we come back, the scene begins with an outside shot of the city as we hear WKRP and a caller calling in to Arlene. Arlene. I got a problem, but I don't want to use my real name. We now cut into the studio where Jennifer is behind the mic, and Johnny is dusting in the background. Seriously dusting. Serious dusting. He's Lots doing of above it. the doors and everything. I want him to come clean our house. He has nothing else to do, I guess. So Arlene tells the caller, that's okay. So just call me Joan. Okay. Uh, what's your problem, Joan? Who? <laughs> well, you are Joan, aren't you? No, I'm not. Anyway, Arlene, what do you do with a husband who's always running around with other women? Have your lawyer chat with him. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer takes the next caller who says her name is Betty. I've been engaged to a man three months and I just found out he has a wooden leg. Should I break it off? And oh, the one-liners. You've got to get those one-liners in there. Now we read it is 18 days later. Nothing seems to have changed. Jennifer's still in the studio, and Venus is in the studio watching her do her show. Jennifer takes a call. Arlene, I don't have a question for you. I just want to say I thank God for you. Well, that's very nice, but not necessary. The next caller identifies himself as Joe. But that voice sounds familiar. How's a guy get rid of really problem dandruff? I wouldn't know her. It's Joe. 
Well, Joe, we have to go to a commercial now. Surely. I'd love to hear one. Say, how does a guy get rid of really problem dandruff? We wanted to mention something here about early 80s call-in shows. Notice that Arlene is on at 3 p.m. and her audience is primarily women. These women were calling in from home-based landlines. AM was making the move to talk in the early 80s because music was moving almost exclusively to FM. Talk in the 80s involved scripted reporting, long announcer rants, and staged interviews. Except for shows like Arlene's, audiences were still passively consuming talk radio. True call-in interactive radio would not explode until the use of cell phones took off in the early 90s. Even back when service was spotty and minutes were expensive, people would call in to voice their opinions. Would they ever. The CG tells us it is now 20 days later. Jennifer is at the mic taking calls as Arlene. We hear that it's Joan again. You told me to get a lawyer to chat with my goonball husband who's been fooling around with every other woman in Cincinnati. I remember. Well, I've taken your advice. But I don't know how to tell Bob I'm leaving. Of course, Bob isn't his real name either. Well, Joan, I'd tell him as soon as possible. I'd look him right straight in the eyes and say, Bob, you're out. And that's the way it is, February 8th. 1981. Now, we said we weren't going to mention the timeline again, but this is a bit weird. Jennifer just gave a date one week before the real world air date of the episode. If you think about all of the dozens of days that have elapsed in the hiring process and now the rehiring process, they're saying Herb's idea started all of this possibly more than a year ago. Again, it's pretty obvious they're going for the joke with these day listings. No one actually worried about the real world timeline. Because now it's eight days later. (laughs) Eight days after what? I just want to tell you that my wife and I are getting along great since I talked to you. Thank you. Well, good. And she stopped carrying the pistol. (laughs) Oh, that's great, Earl. Herb enters with a vase of a dozen long-stemmed roses. Yeah and places it between the turntables. Hello? Arlene? Yes? Everybody in my office says I'm difficult to get along with because I can never admit I'm wrong. What do you think? Maybe they're right. What do you know? (laughs) Two days later, Jennifer's behind the mic, and Andy is sitting on the stool. Jennifer turns to Andy. You said a couple of days. It's been 64 of them. 64 does not a couple make. Andy tells Jennifer she's doing so well. Jennifer asks how long it's going to take Herb to find someone. He's giving it everything he's got. That's what I was afraid of. Jennifer says she doesn't want to be the advice lady for the rest of her life. Look, how about just for the next uh, 10 years? How about just for the next 10 minutes? 10 days. Five days. And he tells her he doesn't know what she's worried about. She's making a lot of friends. That's what I'm worried about. Jennifer takes the next caller. Hello, you're on. All right, now it's a new day, and Jennifer's behind the mic taking even more calls. Yes. Arlene, do you think I'm fat? You look okay to me. (laughs) Arlene, this is Arlene. Oh, hello, Arlene. This is Arlene. Arlene, I just want you to know that Eddie and I are back together again. Oh, that's great, Arlene. Bye, Arlene. Bye, Arlene. Hello, this is Arlene. Arlene, hello. Uh, this isn't Joan again? Oh, hello. Remember you told me to tell Bob I was leaving him? I did? Well, I told him. Last night. And? He hit me. I can't hear you. He beat me up, Arlene. And I don't know what to do. Jennifer is speechless. And it is too bad our not-Joan voice actress did such a fantastic job, but she did not 
get a voice credit for this episode. We transition to the lobby. Mr. Carlson is sitting at Jennifer's desk, nervously tapping a pencil. Andy's pacing back and forth, and for some reason they don't have the lobby monitor on, so they don't know what's just happened. Don't worry about it. Herb's going to find somebody today. He's only been on the case for 194 days. The phone rings, and Mr. Carlson answers it. Hello, WKRP. Mr. Carlson? Oh, he's not in. (laughs) Guy's never in. (laughs) Andy tells Mr. Carlson they should just forget the whole thing. Mr. Carlson wishes Jennifer were back at her desk. I just, I just don't like sharing Jennifer with other people. The phone rings and Carlson picks it up. Hello, I'm WKRP. Travis. No, he's not in. No, the guy's never in. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever Nobody's in. Nobody's ever in. Carlson tells Andy it was all Herb's idea. Andy tells him no, it was his. Jennifer enters the lobby slowly, coming from back where the studio is. She looks stunned. Arlene has just resigned. Johnny's filling in. Andy starts to argue with her. With Bailey's help, I just got a caller in touch with a center for battered women. Carlson tells Jennifer that's good. Except she probably wouldn't have gotten battered were it not for my cute flip off the cuff advice. Andy tells Jennifer she can't take responsibility for something like that. He tells her that they talked her into it. Jennifer confesses that she liked it. She enjoyed it. Do you think I would have done that day after day if I hadn't? Does that sound like me? So now I'm going to take my little seat right out here in the lobby and keep my big mouth shut. Mr. Carlson tells Jennifer she can't do that. She can't just shut herself off. Why not? Because I need you. Jennifer says she doesn't want people to need her. Oh, yes, you do. You want me to need you. And I'll tell you something else, young lady. If you hadn't been on that phone, that woman probably wouldn't have gotten the help that she needed from you and then Bailey. And do you really think that a radio show has anything at all to do with a man who batters women? Would you gentlemen please excuse me because I think I'm going to cry now and I don't want anybody to see me do that. Mr. Carlson goes into his office. Andy heads towards the door to the bullpen. Jennifer's lower lip begins to quiver and she covers her mouth with her folded hands. The door to Art's office opens and he comes back out. Jennifer, would you come in here, please? Mr. Carlson. Look, I, I need you. What's wrong? My train's broken. (laughs) Jennifer walks over to Mr. Carlson and they hug. And we wanted to take a moment to point out the amazing work of director Linda Day. She seems to have a knack for delivering heavy material with kid gloves. Her first ever directing assignment was the In Concert episode covering the Who tragedy in Cincinnati. As with this, you remember she was able to give us a small laugh to relieve the tension. Going for a laugh in the midst of a tragedy is a tough balancing act for a seasoned director. It's even more amazing when you consider this is only Ms. Day's third directing assignment. We move into the studio for our cappers scene. Johnny, who took over the show from Jennifer, is behind the mic. He's using the same headphones Jennifer was using. He's holding one of the roses in his hand as he talks to a caller. Always want to start on these things from the outside. and That'll lead you just naturally, organically into those inner areas. And that's where all the real action is, you Uh dig? Now, what's furthest out is the salad fork and the soup spoon. (laughs) Then the teaspoon, okay? Which side? It's on, on the right. The big fork is on the inside left, and the dessert spoon is above. Above? Above what? Why do it have dessert uh, All right, uh, Pat, 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 Patricia. I tell you what, uh, put the napkin over your head and eat with your hands, okay? We got a lot of- Surprisingly, the doctor, who lives in a one-room efficiency and has been known to eat ramen over the sink, he is dead on when it comes to advising about the perfect formal place setting. <laughs> and that is going to do it for Ask Jennifer. A fun episode with a serious little tag there at the end. So, Donna, what is up for next week? Next week, we'll be discussing I Am a Woman. 
Mr. Carlson is notified the radio station building is to be torn down. Bailey campaigns to have the building declared a landmark. Mama Carlson promises a better building will be built. So art campaigns against the landmark status. Thanks for listening to this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPCast. For more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPCast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us WKRPCast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shot Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shot Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!